Hello and welcome to the Refold Roundtable ASMR podcast. No, I'm kidding. This is the Refold Roundtable podcast. And uh, today we are diving into the topic of traditional methods. I am Shiki and I am joined by the usual suspects of Briz, George Pag, and we have a special guest, Cole, once again. Happy to be here. Hello. Hi. I'm excited about this topic, guys. Yeah, so where do we want to start? Yeah, well, um, we didn't do our introduction this time like usual, but uh, basically, we brought Cole back because he did a whole bunch of traditional learning, and I think all of us have had some traditional learning. And yeah, I want to hop into it traditional study. What do we think about it? Do we want to talk about our experiences with it first? Sure. Um, I guess I'll go first. I have a, probably one of the most extensive experiences with the traditional learning system since I had it through middle school, high school, undergrad, and um, postgrad. So I think, I think it tends to get a pretty bad rap in general, not entirely undeserved. Um, but I think the task of traditional learning is very tough because they're just basically, they're trying to teach people the proficiency in a language, but they don't have enough time to even do it. So it's kind of an impossible task to start. I think there's definitely not enough input. Um, there's useful parts of the skill building model. Um, and I think you do, and it does turn out students that can, that have some ability in the language, especially later on. Um, but yeah, a lot to improve on, but not all bad. I remember I took Spanish in high school, like I'm aging myself here, but 20 years ago, I took it in high school and I remember going into it really wanting to do well and coming out of it, hating the language. And I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, the way that it's languages are traditionally taught. And I just wasn't one of those people that found the way that it was traditionally taught uh, particularly interesting. And then I tried to repeat in college. I was so turned off by Spanish. I thought, you know, I'm just going to learn French. I didn't learn French. I took several semesters of French in college and I did better. I didn't cheat in French like I did in Spanish in high school, but I still don't really remember anything. And I'm not really exaggerating. I don't remember any of the conjugations. I remember a couple of words like what over is and things like that, but I don't really remember a lot. So I don't have a particularly good taste in my mouth of traditional education, but I don't think I'm unique in that. Yeah. So uh, I have experience from both sides. Um, I took two years of Spanish in high school and uh, it wasn't like particularly difficult uh, because I grew up in Florida for one thing. Um, but uh, it was just so boring and not mentally stimulating and uh, I can't say I had a good time but uh but then I um later on with Japanese I took Japanese 101 in college and by then I had already done about four or five months of immersion learning so I saw how it would work out once you have a base of immersion and I do think it's a much more pleasant experience that way. 
Yeah, so um, I had the displeasure or pleasure of having two languages in uh, a traditional environment. So at my first high school I went to for two years, um, I had Spanish. It was the only foreign language offered. And um, the teacher was not actually a Spanish teacher. He was a Salvadoran guy who was a math teacher. And I guess, you know, sometimes they make like coaches teach. Sometimes they make people who are like, oh, you speak Spanish? Great. You're now the Spanish teacher as well. Um, and he was not a, he was a great math teacher, but he was just not a Spanish teacher. Um, I don't remember what we did. I remember every Friday we would watch The Simpsons with English subs in Spanish. And I don't think I actually learned anything in the class. Um, then my second high school, when we moved back to the States, I, um, yeah, I took Japanese and we used a set of textbooks called Japanese for Young People, uh, the, the child version of Japanese for Busy People. And um, I think after two years, I maybe had a couple hundred words under my belt and I thought I was really good and I, I really wasn't. Um, so my experience, my memory with trad learning was it made me very comfortable and I was like very eager to output. I joined some like the old days, like 2009 era online radio, sort of like pseudo podcasts that were big in Japan and um, had like very basic conversations. And I thought I was really good. But when I tried to immerse, when I tried to do Asia, I felt completely flat. Yeah. So mm -hmm. do we want to talk about um, like what we see as the downsides to traditional learning first and then talk about what we think is good about it? Oh, the downsides of traditional learning. Hmm. Yeah. So with traditional learning, I definitely think uh, skill building is a mistake. Not in the fact that it's wrong to have like your basis covered, but the assumption that you learn something A, B, C, D is not how we learn. You might learn A very easily, then you might learn D, then you might learn C, and you might finally learn B. And when you're railroaded onto like a traditional skill building, go from lesson one to lesson two to lesson three, and you're being graded on it. I think that's a downside is because like we might not pick up B. I always call it the Halbert story. Everybody has their own Halbert story. Um, so Cloudy, Cloudy Howdy uh, on YouTube, he, when he first started learning Korean, he uh, could not remember basic vocab, things like Apple, but he was playing a game and he was playing an RPG and he learned the word for Halbert in Korean before he could say Apple or hand like basic things. I relate and, to this. <laughs> I really uh, relate to this. I think that the, the order of acquisition is a mistake with like trad learning. Because we don't always learn linearly, like one, two, three. You might get four, three might be okay, two might be a struggle. I think that does a problem, but I don't know if that has to do with like skill building per se. Like the way I see it is like you have skill building, which in and of itself is okay. Like you just, you need to practice um, speaking, writing, and get feedback, that's totally okay. I think um, you have it way too early where people, they don't have any words or understanding of the language and they're just forced to do it. And then the other side of that is they're also forced, which it sounded like you were kind of starting to talk about, which is just like how you're graded for like perfect accuracy. Like you learn this stuff and then you have to master it and then you move on to the next stuff and you have to master it. So it's, I think 
that's slightly different from skill building, but like the way that it's graded and like you, you get feedback is kind of problematic, especially early on. It's really disheartening, you know, especially like I remember in the beginning, I was super excited to learn everything and my grades weren't great, right? In school. And that was a huge demotivator for me. And it was part of the reason I just kind of stopped caring, you know? I think that like you pointed on it, the way that things are graded is not great <laughs> for actual uh, learning. Yeah, I do think that the skill building approach is inherently flawed when it comes to language acquisition because like what George was saying is um, it's, not, it's not a straight line of how you learn things. Like even within the same language, within the same community of people, like in the Japanese server, for instance, we are all going to have differences in um, the words that give us trouble. Like somebody is going to learn the word for Apple and then somebody else is going to learn the word for amusement park, but then they might have issues with, you know, those vice versa between two learners. And also the, uh, the forced aspect of it is also a big problem. But um, I think my biggest issue with traditional learning is um, just the lack of contact with the language itself. Like, I don't understand how anybody could expect to learn something without being exposed to it. Yeah, I've seen that as a former English teacher. And, you know, I had students who've been learning English for 12 years and their only contact was a 30 minute class twice a week. Um, but I don't know if that's a problem with trad learning per se, because I've always believed that trad learning can be synergetic with immersion learning. Um, I feel like they balance each other really well, actually. Um, so I definitely don't think that trad learning is evil or that like limited contact is part of trad learning. You know, there have been some traditional types of learning. I, I feel like um, there was an active user on the Japanese server who's like, when he started learning Japanese in like 1990, you know, his course was like an immersion course. And I feel like it's been around for a while. So I, I think it depends on what you get, you know? Yeah, I, totally I guess. Agree. I should clarify, I'm, modern traditional learning is, sure. you know, mostly awful, mostly awful. But even oh. modern, right? There are, are a lot of examples of people in the Spanish server um, who ha were immerse, immersing side by side with uh, traditional methods. They were taking um, Spanish in school, in college or in high school. And I've seen those people progress really quickly. And I think that there is something to say for, you know, learning the basics and whatever you learn with traditional learning and immersing at the same time. Um, obviously, I don't agree with the way that traditional classrooms teach language, but I do think that there is something in it where, you know, when you're looking at these grammar concepts, it like primes your brain to notice them better in immersion. and maybe that helps. I don't know, though. I, I definitely see the potential for complementing each other. But in my experience, doing immersion methods alongside my traditional Japanese classes in college, I feel like the college class is just dragging me down. It's just an extra burden for me to deal with where it's like, oh, you have two hours of homework tonight. Time to write this kanji 10 times in a row for 10 different kanji and then turn it in next day. It's like, it's just 
unnecessary. It like it doesn't really help. It, I feel like it harms more than it helps. I definitely think there is busy work in any sort of classroom environment um, because they need something to grade, right? Like the teachers are, the, even if they don't want to, I know I didn't when I was a teacher, the school makes you give assignments and, you know, it's just the nature of the beast. But uh, that bearing that in mind, I definitely think that I have seen personally people in the Refold community who have done both immersion and trad learning at the same time, and they took their trad learning very seriously, do really well. Uh, two people come to mind would be Alicia from the Mandarin server. Um, she was taking Chinese classes. She eventually tested into the, uh, the heritage learner track. She's now in China living her best life. Another person is um, Baron from the Spanish server. He did a lot of trad learning and a whole, whole bunch of input on top. And I've seen those people make a lot of progress where I've seen people who are like in the community who's like, oh, I've been studying Spanish for two years. Why can't I understand anything? Because some people, when they jump into immersion, they just don't have that foundation. And I think a little guidance can, you know, get them to where they need to be. I think, um, and talking about the um, the limitations with like time and not enough input, I think you can say it's a flaw of traditional learning in the sense that there's no preparation or explanation or strategy about how to approach your learning at all. It's just you start out day one, you learn the alphabet, maybe you learn some numbers, and you just go from there. And you just and there's no like, oh, you need to like you really need to get as much uh, exposure to language outside as possible. Like study on your in your free time, read simple things. It's like a baseline assumption that you just take the class, you do the work, you will get fluent. Like that is, and I think that's a big problem. I think if people kind of more understood that, oh, it's there's more time like required than we can even like assign you in the in the class itself, then maybe more people wouldn't have that mindset of like, oh, they're gonna teach me, they're gonna give me fluency. But like it's really something you have to take and um, do on your own, and you can't make somebody interested in a language. So they, it's kind of there for the for your taking in a way. And I think um, to respond to Shiki's point about like her busy work, I think there's tons of work in traditional settings that's highly ineffective and um, just a drag. But I think the later you get into traditional learning classes, when you're maybe writing shorter pieces of writing, like maybe short essays, and you're getting feedback, and maybe you do more things with the language, then you will really see that um, synergistic effect with immersion, where you won't see it so much in the really early classes when you're doing highly, I don't know, repetitive and simple activities. Yeah, I can agree with that. It's, I guess, uh, it's a personality flaw of mine, where it's like, if I don't see the immediate purpose of doing something, it just makes me angry, and I don't want to do it. I also no think one... that stuff also benefits people who are interested in doing that kind of stuff, though, right? Like, if you're going to get that far in... Uh, language learning in college or whatever, you already kind of have an innate interest in that, um, which makes you more willing to do that kind of stuff. But for regular people, well, regular people, there's no such thing. But for people like perhaps Shiki and I, that doesn't seem super appealing. And it's not something that like, I don't think we'd be able to like force ourselves to do even in a classroom setting, or at least, um, in a way that would make us remember stuff easier. However, 
um, when I first started language learning, I didn't know about immersion. I didn't have access to Spanish YouTube and Spanish Netflix. And part of me does As wonder if old. I did. <laughs> I know, right? I said 20 years ago. <laughs> you know, like if I did have the two, I don't know. Maybe it would have made it more interesting. I have a question, though. Do you think that there's something that traditional learning gives you that you can't replicate on your own? I will. Okay. I'm going to answer your question, but it's not your question per se. You're like, I'm fine well, with that. Next to your question. Inspired uh, I'm, by. I'm going to, I'm going to rephrase that and say, is there anything that traditional learning does well? Um, Cause you can, I think you can learn yeah. totally on your own. I think that if you have the, the gumption to go through and learn your first couple thousand words, reference your reference grammar, do grammar lookups when you don't understand, you can get there from, from like zero, but. I feel like a lot of people, they come into immersion learning and they don't cover all of their basics. Um, I've seen people who, you know, they learn very organically, but they don't have their bases covered. You know, uh, for example, Brie, uh, the other day you didn't know the word for like coffee pot in Spanish. No. Because no. it's just not I come don't. up. Um, and I've I seen like immersion. Uh, I've seen immersion learners who don't know the word for floor or other like so-called basic concepts. I, I don't think that what we would call like a quote unquote basic word is always the most frequent word, especially in our immersion. And I feel like those, those like nitpicky vocab lists that you get from Genki or something, I think they do a pretty good job of giving you like what you should know as an adult learner going in, like being able to talk about lawyers or what your, um, Mass, you know, what, what you studied in school, right? What your major was. And I feel like a lot of immersion learners just have really patchy coverage where they're really, really good at some things, but they don't have that wide sort of broad, but shallow knowledge that a textbook learner would have. I'm going to have to disagree partially. I think, I think you do see immersion learners with like large gaps, especially, um, and with, with regards to like certain kind of daily normal conversational skills and words and like the things you need to talk about um, in highly like real life settings, like you don't really see them in media as much. But I, I really don't think wordless is the way to go because um, I, I have a huge gripe with actually with wordless because the way that the wordless are built is it's by theme. And so you'll have like your travel theme and your food theme. And mind you, these, these themes might come up like like in the first class or the second class and they just don't know any words. And so, so you almost have no words to start with. And then the words you are learning are like, okay, yeah, you can learn a lot of fruit. Maybe they're important. Um, but I mean, I've seen the words like the word lumberjack. I was seeing words that in there that I like didn't know or I learned super later, like races. And some of these words, a lot of them actually are just so like extremely obscure. Like they're not like, they're very infrequent and they're highly situational. And it just has no place in like a beginner textbook. I think if you were gonna approach that, you're like, oh, we need to fill our gaps. Um, a better way to do that is just like to approach it with like writing, like write about your day, write about like a topic like this. And then you have to go and find these words and be like, oh, I wanna say this. And then that really instills a really strong memory that's probably more useful to your specific situation. Yeah, so I think that with immersion learning where it rears its ugly head with its gaps is when you do go to talk about your life or something. Uh, you know, you've got people who can watch an anime maybe and follow along and they've been learning for two years. But if they were to talk to a, a, a partner and they said, hey man, what'd you do today? They wouldn't be able to say I cleaned the coffee, right? 
they might be able to talk around it, but I just think that thematic vocab lists sort of doing things um, with a purpose, sort of designed to get you to output ultimately, because, you know, refold is very much input focused, which is great because definitely it's lacking in the general like lingo sphere. But sometimes that sort of output centric approach, it, I don't know, prepares people to output better than pure input. That's my hot take. To go back to the question, um, I have to be honest, and I'm not trying to be edgy when I say this, but I do not think that traditional classes will provide anything for you that you can't already get in self-guided methods. The only thing I'd be willing to say that it will get you is um, direct access to, hopefully, if you're lucky enough, a native speaker of that language to ask more like direct questions to for clarification between like the nuance of certain words. But then again, you could just get that from like a tutor on your own time. Like you don't need the class structure for that. So to, to define trend learning, I've been approaching it with the assumption that we're also talking about like self-teaching textbooks, you know, um, not necessarily having a teacher per se. Yeah, but, I know, guess I'm looking at it from the classroom perspective. And you have an interesting classroom perspective, right? So Cole started his journey, like, in the classroom, Spanish. You started Japanese and have recently started taking classes in it for college credit, right? So you started, like, the opposite as an immersion learner and then came into it. So why don't you, how did that, like, what were the expectations versus the reality there when you first started taking your, your class? Uh, again, I'm not trying to be edgy. But uh, I expected to at least learn more than I actually did. Uh, going through Japanese 101, like, when I got there, I had been doing immersion for four or five months. And um, by the end of the semester in Japanese 101, I probably learned a grand total of one new grammar concept, as in, like, a grammar concept that I have never seen before and maybe a handful of vocabulary words that I wasn't really familiar with or hadn't seen before. Like, I did not learn much. I have to be honest with you. Okay, but that's going into a 101 class after, how, how long have you been immersing for? Well, by the time I went into 101, I had been immersing for four or five months. Oh, by the time, okay. I still think, yeah, I think, I think the traditional learning, especially in the early classes, is where it's like, most apparently flawed as well but to, to go back to the question of like what is good about it um i think i don't think yeah I, yeah i wouldn't make the argument that there's things exclusive to traditional learning that you can only achieve in that setting um that are good um but i think one of its biggest strengths is accountability of like just getting people in the classroom like consuming the language because also the early stages of learning i don't know how y'all feel about this i think is one of the most boring um, and painful times because outside of learning the like a script that might be a little fun, maybe learning some of the sounds is okay. But as far as like your ability is so limited to what you can do, everything is just just nonsense and like you can only understand the most basic of phrases and it's just it's just not a fun place to be. And so if you if you kind of have that accountability to get through that era or, or like that time uh, period, and then eventually you will be able to like pursue things that are a bit more exciting on your own, but getting through that early stage is, is pretty painful, I think. Here's a, here's a question. So 
a lot of we, we we mentioned before that we're talking about with traditional learning that is both school and um, traditional methods like textbooks and stuff. How do we feel about things like memorizing tables, front-loading grammar, things like that? Do you think that there's anything in there that is inherently good or useful or what, where do you think it's lacking or what do you think it does well? Gorg, do you want to go ahead and answer? George? Oh, did we lose him? I think um, we lost him. I think we lost him. I can answer. Um, <laughs> I think in terms of front-loading grammar concepts like with tables or memorizing lists or anything like that, it's going to work temporarily. But at some point, it's going to fall out of your head unless you're exposing yourself sure. to input. And I experienced sure. that in Spanish class. Like, I knew all the conjugations for several verbs after two years of Spanish, but if you tried to ask me now, I would not be able to tell you. But when I was starting uh, Japanese 101, um, the teacher was explaining this, like, strange, like, trick to mm. guess conjugations of words. Yeah. But I found that it just confused me because I already knew them, like, just by... I don't know, just by right. knowing them. I didn't have to think. <laughs> I just okay. had yeah. them already. It's weird seeing them out of context. I don't yeah. know. I feel like tables, if they were like mixed with Anki or something, there was this deck that I did early on in Spanish that was a verb conjugation deck. And it went through the most popular conjugations in Spanish, and there's a lot of them, and the irregular verbs. And it had sentence context for all of them. And while that wasn't necessarily tables, it was somewhat just focusing on conjugation. And I found that really helpful because I was having a hard time understanding the subjunctive and conditional tenses and all that stuff. And it was a good way to really hone in on verb tenses without doing actual tables. And I think that I retained a lot more of it than just like going over a verb table. And, to be and then Hulk, I, think... I heard you jump in. Oh, sure, yeah, I think, I think everybody pretty much is on board that like, Traditional learning without input, without immersion on the side to supplement is, is, is kind of doomed for failure. So I'm, I'm curious, Shiki, if you think like, because it's my understanding that most refolders would not even agree with this, is that in conjunction with enough like immersion and input, let's say, let's just say input, um, do you think that there's a, a place for like drilling or like production cards of like conjugations and that kind of thing? Or do you think it still wouldn't be helpful? I think it really depends where you are on the process or in the process rather. Um, I think drilling is not a good idea for like day one, day two, day three beginner. But in terms of if you're at that stage, like late to C, when you're trying to make that jump, uh, the gap between two C and three to like start outputting, um, drilling certain things could have its place. Uh, I feel like I could say that chorusing is kind of a form of drilling because you're kind of drilling certain phrases that you feel like will be useful in your output. Yeah, I totally agree. I think there's a place for it. Um, and I, th I, I think a lot of, um, I think the lack of any kind of production leading up to stage, uh, maybe stage three and refold where you start outputting is somewhat of a problem that I think traditional learning, it does something like it, it gets you outputting and writing earlier than I would suggest, but at least it does get you in the mindset of like 
creating language on your own when you're super used to like just processing the language. I think it's just an easier thing. It's a much easier thing to do. And I think a lot of people are just underestimating how hard it is to say the exact right conjugation just from pure like like yeah. intuition or just pure like like you're used to the Output language. It's very tough. is rampant among immersion learners. And I I think that with you know with traditional learning where you're forced to output, you do get kind of you get over it. And when it comes to like actually knowing how to output, it's a lot more complex than just saying, oh yeah, yeah, input, 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 because I can recognize a sandcastle when I see one. I'm like, oh yeah, that's a sandcastle. But if you ask me to build or like a professional sandcastle, like an actual like sand artist, I would not do a great job on my first attempt. And I, I think you do need to output. And I think that trad learning does get you in sort of that output focused uh, mindset. I think in my experience, uh, funny enough, uh, the classroom environment was more anxiety inducing in terms of output than like the whole refold community. Because when we were given like these scripts or told, okay, talk about this specific thing, it, it was constantly in the back of my mind, like, okay, so in, in terms of the textbook and the curriculum, we've gone over this verb, this adjective, this noun, this kind of sentence structure, and I'm thinking in the back of my mind, okay, am I allowed to use this certain sentence structure because we've done it or have we not done it? Is the teacher going to be angry because I've used something that's quote unquote too advanced? And it's like, I, I constantly had all these anxieties in the back of my mind trying to do these output exercises in Did class. Did your teacher really get on you for being too advanced in something? Did that happen? Uh, I was just too afraid to say anything because I was uh. afraid <laughs> of that happening. Like that That'd was way more... Teacher. It was way more stressful oh, than did that ever happen it. to you as a person who actually like went through a like what like a decade of trad learning? Um, I don't. So the you're using things that are too uh, advanced. It might have it, it would might happen in like a writing sense. Like, like there's they set up exercises in a certain way that they want you to use the target structure or um, yeah the target grammar structure. And so and if if you deviate from that. It's kind of you're, you're like avoiding like the point of like certain lessons. I don't think in like impromptu talks, it's not. I've not, I think that's. It's just not very common that they would be like that upset about it. But I would say that um, Shiki has a really strong point in the fact that, um, and I think it's one of the big reasons that people hate traditional classes is the forced output in front of the whole class when you're super uncomfortable. It, oh. It's problematic it and it's really anxiety-inducing for a lot of people and um, the constrained nature that. of it like you have to fit yourself into this specific box with these specific words the specific grammar and you have to use these specific things and it just makes it so much more difficult to navigate and for output to come naturally i think that's like a problem with with classrooms definitely i don't think that's necessarily a problem with self-study um like if you're doing like a textbook at home not that i'm advocating for that just throwing that out there um but i think that yes, in schools, that's an issue. But if you, a lot of people that study on their own, they don't have any output phobia. They're looking for people to talk to like from day day one. I guess the question is, would that benefit of talking early on be worth whatever potential risk there is later on? Because I know that's something that people really fear in the immersion. Hospitalization. Yeah, that I, that's, that's like going to happen. Whole... I, no, it's not. That's a whole other thing and not worth getting into in this podcast. Uh, oh, fossilization is like a whole other topic and it would eat up the oh, definitely. time. Uh, 
No, 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 exactly. And and that's as the far thing. as I can and, tell, being like semi up to date with modern SLA, fossilization yeah. is not real. You know, people continue to improve. Um, right. Uh, you know, our German admin, he has improved. Uh, Clem, you know, two years ago, he was much worse at English than he is now. You know, if you take it like one slice of a person from a study 10 years ago and then you don't follow up with them every year, it looks like they, you know, you don't see the improvement that they're making. But if you keep trying to improve, you don't have anything to worry about. The fossilization is like a whole other debate. No, I'm with you. But what I'm trying to say is, even if it was a thing, I think that the benefits of not having that fear of outputting probably outweigh any potential risks that may or may not exist. Yeah, that's true. Because um, in the refold approach, you're not dodging the anxiety either. Because as soon as you try to like talk to a native, it's it's pretty anxiety inducing for a lot of people as well. Yep. Because you've never yeah. done it and you don't want to look stupid. I think there's yeah. definitely like a level of anxiety, like when you're bad you don't expect to be good. But I think if you just hold off on outputting for two or three years and that you do go to output and you're not very good, that can be kind of shameful or anxiety inducing. Very much so. Yeah, I have I have a really high standard for myself when I talk because I can understand so much that when I can't communicate on the same level that I can understand, it's very frustrating and I'm trying not to be embarrassed by it, but I can't help it. You know, it is something that I'm going to have to get over and, and work on. So maybe, yeah, if I made a fool of myself in the beginning, I wouldn't have that issue right now because I'd just be used to it. Also, in a classroom setting, with you're with people there that like don't even care about the language, that just want to get through the class, people that have just horrendous mistakes and accent, and that can actually help you in a way because you'd be like, well, you know, there's all these other people that are, are, are terrible too. But then you come to a, a, like a very dedicated community about language learning. It's like all of a sudden it's like, everybody else is like wanting to get like pretty good, not make mistakes. And I think mm -hmm. that's another environment that's like, it's less, it, it's not as good as the classroom for like um, anxiety in that way. Yeah, I definitely don't think that early output, like at a certain point to a certain degree is not necessarily bad in itself, but it's the forced nature of it. Like focus you... on it on that is like all <laughs> that's like, we are going to output every single day. We're going to do all these exercises and yeah. like, that's like our main focus. And I think that is definitely not right. Yeah. Even Steven Krashen says that early output is not bad, but when you try to force it, that's when it's bad. So is yeah. there anything that, uh, traditional learning does better than immersion learning and like in your mm -hmm. guys' opinion, is there anything it does better? I definitely have some thoughts, uh, but I'll I'll let somebody else go first. I think the thing that it might do better is you have to do it every day. Like there's no getting out of it if you're doing a classroom, because that's what's on my brain right now. Like there's no getting out of a classroom, and if you're able to pair that with um, you know immersion, I think that's a good way to build a habit, and it's it kind of forces you to do stuff that you don't want to do. Um, so I think that could be better. I think, um, especially later on, you have this environment. Um, now, like later and later classes, you're doing more advanced things. So getting feedback on essays and writing is very valuable. And that's kind of a core part of the um, traditional classroom experience, I should say. And then there's also kind of discussion with other students. There's kind of more socialization involved with the language, which can be good. And I think way later on like you get um maybe more native students in your classes and such that can that can be good but even all that aside 
Um, some traditional classroom environments have a native speaker, a teacher who's constantly monitoring their speech and it's making for very simple. You have context, context in the classroom, they're pointing, they're visuals. So in that way, it, it's a it can be a comprehensible input experience in the classroom um, that can be pretty effective when you have no words whatsoever. I do think Please. that some traditional tools would be useful in certain situations. Like for instance, if you're trying to pass a proficiency test, it would be beneficial to study some traditional um, materials for that proficiency test, like textbooks or uh, certain grammar structures, things of that nature. So going going back to what you, you said earlier, Cole, um, you mentioned like essay writing things, and that is something that I think I've seen a lot of immersion learners fail at. Um, and I've been a victim of it myself. Uh, for example, Ethan um, has done a lot of immersion learning for Spanish, but I've noticed that sometimes there are like weird capitalization rules that differ between English and Spanish that he may not have noticed or um, very early on when I was learning Filipino, there are three words that are spelled differently, but they sound the same. And a lot of uneducated native speakers uh, mix them up and I used to mix them up and it wasn't, I mean, I eventually did correct it on my own, but I feel like if I had been sitting down in like, you know, Filipino class, or if I were sitting down in Spanish class where a teacher said, no, 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 these are these arbitrary rules for formal writing that you're not following, right? Like German uses commas differently than English. And I feel like there are some, just some nitpicky prescriptivist rules that trad learning does really well. Even for native speakers, I'm a native English speaker. And if anybody has seen my writing, it is awful. Um, uh, and I definitely think uh, that had I been like an English major or something, um, I would be much better at like knowing which punctuation to use. Is it a semicolon or is it a colon? Or, well, I'm just gonna use uh, an M dash instead, right? I think that's true. I think um, thinking about another thing, um, I think in Refold and like dedicated immersion communities, everybody is kind of wants to learn their language. They're excited about the language and they're pretty resourceful. They found it, they're techie for the most part, they know what's going on. And so um, I think traditional, when you have a teacher and giving that like guidance of like, just do this, um, you can explain things that like may seem very obvious to most people. Having just somebody there that you can constantly just ask and check with can be really valuable to a lot of people that are less ling linguistically inclined, technologi technologically inclined. And I think there's a lot of, uh, maybe older people that just can benefit from that like structure and very explicit guidance that you won't really see people needing as much in Refold. So do you think that Refold's only for young techie people? I think inherently when you have like a hands-off method where it's like, oh, here's some guidelines and then just immerse, find content that you like. I think that lead like more self-sufficient people are going to, are going to thrive in that. Are gonna Less than self -sufficient it's people like self-selection bias, survivorship yeah. bias type thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I think that can be said for like all of immersion learning, like age at also probably suffered from that. Cause yeah, I don't know. I've, I've tutored a lot too. So, and I've tutored seven year olds to 60 year olds and you'll have people that like struggle to make connections, very like explicit, like parallels in their native language. You have of kids that are super quick and they, they make the connections really fast and things are flowing fast. And so it's like, yeah, there's just a whole range of people of like kind of understanding, having just good intuition about what to do and what is a worthwhile activity and all, a lot of things that a teacher can kind of help with. 
So I are think... there... Oh, go ahead, Shiki. I was going to say, I think I'm one of those people that falls into that category of like, just tell me what to do and I'll go run with it. Like, I don't, I don't need to have my hand held. And um, I think in the same way that um, lately, a lot of things that would normally be taught in a class, you could just go on YouTube and learn it. Like, and that also extends to language learning. Like, I just think the traditional classroom setting is not necessary for a lot of things. Sure. I mean, I think that it's not impossible, obviously, because we're learning a language through immersion. A lot of us here aren't doing traditional study. It's definitely possible um, and, in my opinion, more enjoyable <laughs> to learn a language without a classroom um, or with traditional methods. Cole, you actually did both, right? So you learned a lot of your Spanish or you didn't. Let me rephrase this. You got a master's degree in Spanish and you're quite proficient in it. Um, but you're also learning Cantonese just without traditional methods, right? So how yeah. would you compare contrast those two experiences? Like what are the benefits of each and the, the drawbacks of each? Well, I think just to give a bit more context about the Spanish, it was like kind of like heavy, like almost only traditional. I wasn't that excited about learning. And then like maybe about halfway through the journey, which is, you know, late high school, uh, early college, then I started to implement more like input on my own. And then I really saw like myself really succeed when I kind of added a lot of like actual outside input and learning um, to right, my right. traditional. And then in with Cantonese, yeah, I was only immersion from the beginning, basically no, no teaching or classes or anything. And I think I, in some ways I see like how you fall into some, a lot of these classic refolder like problems where it's like, oh, I've been learning for two years, but like, I, I feel very uncomfortable like writing sentences. Like I can, especially conversation. Um, it was just really good. I'm like, I, I just don't know how people talk in like a very, very normal casual setting about like, even just like, like where I'm from, how do you like, what do you like to do this kind of thing? Like, I'm just very uncomfortable in that situation. And so I actually got a tutor for a bit. I'm, um, and that's already helping like tremendously with, with that kind of thing. So I, but on the other hand, I think if I went to a Cantonese traditional class now, like let's say I went to a level one class or a level two class, I think it would be very painful because, um, I don't, um, aside from any conversational practice, which may or may not be possible. I think a lot of it would just be people that are just woefully just have like no, like very limited understanding of the language, less vocab. And I don't know if I would get that much, much out of it, but maybe a later Cantonese traditional class, I could see that being helpful. So yeah, I don't know. There's, there's definitely problems, but I see where immersion has like a shining role in like building that really robust, like foundation and understanding. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, yeah. So I, I definitely I, see with, with trad learning, there's a trend to recommend a combination of grammar study and immersion. So I don't know if anybody here is familiar with like, um, the Dowling method of learning Latin, where you memorize all of the several hundred possible declension patterns, which just sounds really painful. You know, it sounds I, so painful. <laughs> I, I think that they have people who write out each potential pattern like 200 times by hand. That sounds really bad. I, but, I took like psychic damage just listening to that. It sounds like punishment. <laughs> I wouldn't do it. But yeah. I've heard of learners having the success combining that with comprehensible input, which, by the way, does exist for Latin. 
Um, I believe it. And I feel like it can synergize, you know, like just having a higher level of metalinguistic awareness from having trad study, again, not classroom study, but like getting a grammar, right, can help. Um, so I don't know. I just, I don't think it's all bad. And um, I think there are ways, there are things that we can take from trad learning and incorporate into our immersion learning. For example, um, you know, we don't have to do a textbook, but we could do a textbook vocab list, right? For example, in Hindi, all of the numbers from one to 99 are irregular, right? Because they just had a long, complex history of Sandhi and sound changes, and it's just not easy to guess them. Um, and there are some things that I think just grinding sort of rote trad style can be beneficial. Uh, and I definitely, I don't know, I, I come back to it. I just feel like pure immersion learning without doing some sort of focused study leaves gaps. Sure. I guess the question is, you know, how big are those gaps and how important are they to you in what your goals are, right? If your goal is to just be conversational or talk to people or consume content, a lot of people, their goal is just to consume content. Um, then I think those gaps are okay. But if your goal is to get actually certified in the language, then there's really no way around it. You're going to have to like buckle down and learn all of those concepts, you know, rotely. I think those gaps are more important than people like to give it credit for. And since I think a lot of refolders want to get really good at their target language, they, they don't want to, maybe want to be identical to a native. They want to be very competent, similar to a native. Sure. And if you look at Matt, like Matt talked about a lot about like how, oh, pitch accent. He's like, wow, there's this pitch accent thing. And no matter how much I immerse, I'm not like acquiring the rules because I don't even know, I don't need to under, I don't even need to know pitch accent to understand at a high level, the language. And I think the the, thing, the, the, the reality is that it's not just pitch accent. There's a ton of different features in a, a lot of languages that you just won't acquire because you don't need to. Gender in German is like, you don't need to understand the gender of a word to understand a sentence. You don't, um, like in Spanish as well, the gender, you don't need to know, um, there's two past tenses in Spanish. You don't need to know which past to use most of the time to understand a sentence. You just read a sentence, you say, oh, it's past actions. And so there's a lot of things like that where like actual conscious knowledge can really help you output when you, and like build sentences that are perfectly natural and correct. Yeah, I did grammar drills for my Spanish and, um, I don't regret doing them. They're boring and like my current lifestyle, I would not have the energy after a day of work um, to, to do them. But I did several years ago when I was younger. And I don't know, just that automaticity built by drilling. And I did spoken grammar drills where I would listen and repeat and they would say it in a different tense or something or a different person and I would conjugate it. And I felt like it, it prepared me very well for when I moved to Mexico. But I think that we can recreate that if we did do the odd um, output card, you know. Um, like a closed card? I, I don't know if necessarily a closed card. It could be closed. But, you know, you could get a, a verb. And if you wanted to practice conjugating it, you could put on the front verb and then put the tense or the person that it's supposed to be in. And, uh, you know, sort of like try and output the correct form. I definitely think there are some things we can take from trad learning and merge into refold. You know, I think we already are, you know, there's, we, we have 
our Anki decks that we're doing, which are essentially word lists that we create that are the most high frequency words um, to learn at first. Um, but we're also in the Again, business the of issue, writing the issue with grammar guides. Anki decks is that they they leave a lot of gaps more than people want to admit. I think with trad learning, they quiz you on things, and you either you know it or you don't. Whereas I see people in the immersion learning community, it's like, oh yeah, I've read so many books, and uh, you know there are tons of words that I don't understand. And it's really it makes you question what their comprehension is. Uh, sure. If you if you see some of the wins where people post just big lists of words, there are sometimes some what I would call basic. Again, like Matt says, basic doesn't mean easy. Basic concepts that pretty advanced immersion learners don't have. You know, if you go to some of the Today I Learned uh, threads in the Refold Discords, um, you'll just really see those big glaring gaps. I think people get very comfortable with toler like tolerating the ambiguity. I think trad learning and being tested on it kind of forces you to confront what you actually don't know. So what would you say is the best way to like merge the two? Like in, in a perfect world, what would be a good way to incorporate the things that are great about traditional learning into immersion learning? Uh, well, I'm definitely a big fan of taking a reference grammar like Taikian used to be done and sort of grinding it in Anki. Um, and I definitely think that there's something to be said for thematic vocab lists, like Cole mentioned earlier. Um, because again, you just have gaps with frequent vocab, you know? And sometimes frequent vocab is really strange, okay? Like uh, the Tagalog.com top two keywords is pretty good, it's solid, but like, Number 500 was water spinach, kankong. And that's because the, uh, yeah, it's like a, a, a vegetable. And like, it's a good vegetable to know, don't get me wrong. But the corpus used clearly had too many cooking videos, right? So like kankong came up enough to be a highly frequent word. And mm -hmm. I think there's just a downside to that sort of immersion-only, frequency-only based learning. Especially if you don't live sure. in the country, right? I also think the word lists aren't, aren't great. It as well, like you might have good, like as you said, basic vocab, but then they throw in stuff that has nothing to do with anything. You know, I I did Japanese a while ago and I was doing Genki, and I can't remember examples, but most of those words were words that were like, why am I learning this? What does this have to do with anything? The food things, yeah, okay, that made a lot of sense, but there was stuff like graduate degree and blah 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 blah, and it's like I don't know. Because it was made with the thing. assumption that you were a college student. Right, so if sure. you're talking in Japanese as a college student to another college student, that wasn't like the only example. That was just one that didn't apply to me. But like there were other ones too. So I don't think those lists are perfect. But I do think that to fill in a lot of that, like you said, basic vocab, um, yeah. a way to fit that with like immersion learning would be to be watching just like more simple content stuff that deals with that. Watching, I hate cooking. I have just... tons of gaps in cooking, but watching cooking content like. So I now know what a character is. I think I can bridge these two. Um, it's like not necessarily like a textbook thematic list, but like if you want to learn the body parts, right? They're all like one-to-one -one concepts. You just get a body part Anki deck and you can grind that and then you can make connections easier to like, oh, there's, I know like mouth, eyes, this, but like, oh, I'm learning like these key organs and such like that, or like maybe clothing, or maybe you do a numbers deep dive and learn all the rules like GeoSpiral. <laughs> Shout out to GeoSpiral. He learned all the number yeah. rules for all the fractional numbers and everything. It's like, you could do deep dives like that. And I think 
it could be pretty useful and you it's hard to get like such an intensive yeah. focus on like one topic like just naturally it is is it better uh, to front load that like do you think it's better to front load that or as you notice gaps fill them in i think uh front load when i guess i mean i it's kind of like i think it's just after a while of learning i don't know maybe like stage three later stage three you're just like I want to know you, you, it, maybe it comes up. You're like, I just, I just don't know that many clothes. I know like skirt, shirt, pants, like yeah. what are the, and then you do it. I, don't I use drops like, oh, for I don't that. Know the number. Yeah. You drop. I use drops yeah. for that. Yeah. Cause drops has the, the themed vocab things. And if there's like, oh, I don't know what the parts of a house are. Like, I'll just like pop in that deck. Um, it's not perfect though. I think I probably should look for Anki decks though instead, but yeah. They, they actually post their stuff online. You can make your own Anki decks out of their thematic lists. No, and really? that's something I've done. When I, <gasps> I when I used to LARP as a Chinese learner, I did like thematic <laughs> vocab lists. Like I really like makeup videos. Um, and I like I just crammed a whole bunch of makeup related vocab. Um, and it's not that you need trad learning for this. I think that trad learning gets it right, and you can bring it into your immersion learning by doing thematic vocab lists. If you're already on the SRS train, you might as well. This might be a, a, a spicy take, um, but I think that with um, immersion learning, it kind of, like, for instance, having gaps, like, I don't really see it as an issue at the end of the day. Like, I don't think it matters because being an immersion learner, it kind of trains you to get into a habit of self-evaluation. And with traditional methods, you're kind of, you kind of just get used to being told what to do at every moment. So I think that's kind of the downside. Can I ask a, a question just to sort of, because we, yes. we kind of all like talk about like traditional learning as like, um, kind of like just a worse version or like a very highly imperfect version of like current immersion learning methods and refold method. But like, yeah. we do see like, for most of history, we haven't had access to tons of media instantaneously online and like Anki and like these kinds of strategies. So why were so many people and learners and polyglots around kind of before this whole era? Like what made them be successful? One word, books. Yeah, like reading literature. Reading. That's my, that's I think some textbooks <laughs> just do it right. I think like Asimil does a pretty good job. Of being sort Asimo of a is a great combination of the both of, of it's, two worlds. It's like a graded reader slash dialogue conversation book that has grammar notes and like hyper literal glosses. And it's great. You know, I like again, uh, I think the issue, the whole issue with this whole entire episode is that we've not properly defined traditional learning. You know, there's a lot of focus on classroom learning, but I feel like it goes beyond that. And I feel like there are different types of classrooms. I'm sure that when Cole doing his master's for Spanish in Spanish went to class, it was an immersion environment, right? I assume you were doing your classes in Spanish at some point. I mean, yeah, for, I mean, past, like most of undergrad is just all immersion. Uh, like all that your classmates are natives, like a teacher's native, you discuss the language. Yeah. So it's, it's just a different kind of immersion at that point, probably a better form of immersion. Yeah, and when it comes to gaps, I think they're they're important when you actually need to say something, when you need to communicate. And a lot of but... immersion learners are learning just to watch anime or read, and that's fine. But I've seen, you know, again, coming back to like frequency and gaps on the Refold Central Discord server, I think I'm the only person in two years to have said the word skillet. 
So you wouldn't learn it just conversationally if you're hanging around, uh, you know, on Discord, if you're an English learner, it's not going to come up in Refold. And I think that that's true of a whole bunch of other words too, where you just have these glaring gaps. And I think that um, as much as we preach domains and narrow reading, narrow listening, people don't do a very good job at that, especially people who are like, oh, I just follow my interests. And then that's it leaves me. gaps. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> that's totally me. And yeah, those gaps are really annoying to deal with. And I am going to have to figure something out, whether it's shift domains, not interested, or grind an Anki deck, like Cole said, um, or just deal with it, like Shiki <laughs> suggests, you know, like, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, traditional learning is not the enemy, right? There are a lot of things that we can learn from traditional learning. It's been the go-to for a long time. Um, and like you said, there are a lot of different types. I think that when you're learning a language, keeping an open mind is always a good thing. And um, I know that there's a lot of people out there that are maybe, I've actually read people talk about, oh, you know, I, I had to take a language class. Should I take a different language because I don't want to ruin the the language that I'm immersing in? I don't I don't think that answer is yes. You know, I don't think that you have to like be scared of taking a class and it ruining your immersion. If anything, like George said, there are people in the community who have done a great job doing both side by side and have made insane, incomprehensible gains. Um, so I guess like the moral is, you know. It's fine, but like at the end of the day, whatever you do, you have to immerse alongside with it to to get somewhere um, worthwhile. So with that, I think that wraps up this episode. Thank you so much, Cole, for joining us again. It was awesome hearing about your experiences. Oh yeah, it was so fun. Thank I have double dip in here, but it was a really two two really fun podcasts. I feel like two very interesting. <laughs> yeah, topics thank that you. I'm about, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we we heard this topic. Uh, that the community wanted us to do this and we're like we have to invite Cole so thank you again for joining us and thank you to everybody who joined us today for the live recording of the Refold Roundtable podcast if you like this episode and want to hear more you can listen to past episodes on YouTube and Spotify if you enjoyed this episode please make sure to give us a like and leave a comment below to let us know voting is now open for future topics please, please be sure to resuggest topics that didn't win in prior votes we like to look at fresh suggestions to make sure that's what people actually want to hear currently. So thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Refold Podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and maybe even learned something new. Projects, events, and content like this podcast are only possible thanks to our generous patrons. If you liked this and want to see more similar projects, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Visit community.refold.la slash Patreon-benefits to learn more.